listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. So many Maine moms and dads really care about their kids. They want to do the best they can. They want to get toxins out of the environment, but the chemical industry is very deep-pocketed, such a powerful lobby, and really does its best to cover up the truth and uses some really intense scare tactics. It's a problem if you have a molecule that enters the body for no reason other than the fact that it happened to be in the plastic container that you were drinking from or the lining of the can you ate from. And it finds its way into your body and it latches onto a receptor that's really meant for estrogen and it has other effects. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Seabags, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 61, Pure and Simple airing for the first time on November 11th, 2012, on WLOB and WPEI Radio, Portland, Maine. Today's guests include children's health advocate, Elisa Boxer, Steve Taylor, the program manager for the Environmental Health Strategy Center in Portland, and Dr. Doug Dransfield, board member of the Maine chapter of Physicians for Social Responsibility. Environmental health has been one of my interests as a physician for many years. After being a family medicine resident, I went to the University of Massachusetts and studied preventive medicine and got a master's in public health. Part of public health is the health of the environment, and we talked a lot about clean air, clean water, um, and having a clean and healthy place to grow up. Things have evolved and changed, and we've seen people become more and more aware of things like bisphenol A in plastics, lead in our groundwater, and on the paint on our houses. I think there's still far to go, but I'm glad that people are paying attention now, and I want people to be able to pay attention without feeling scared, because there are substances in the environment and substances that do impact our health, but on the other hand, people are working on the problem, and there are ways that you can get involved yourself. So we hope you'll take a moment to listen to Elisa, Steve, and Dr. Doug Dransfield as they talk about this pure and simple idea and give us very specific ways that we can make sure that our environment is as healthy and safe for our growing children and ourselves as possible. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by the University of New England. As part of our collaboration, we offer a segment we call Wellness Innovations. This week's Wellness Innovation comes from the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. The environment plays a role in 85% of all diseases. 
new science is showing that the effects of exposure to chemicals at low doses and in combination can have an impact on human growth and development. Some chemicals, pollutants, foods, and other behavioral changes that may have minimal adverse effects in adults may impact a developing fetus and have a long-lasting effect on a child's health even into adulthood. Results from studies conducted at the Breast Cancer and Environmental Research Center in Cincinnati have added to widespread concern that girls are increasingly entering puberty at an earlier age. These investigators have found a positive association between the early onset of puberty and increased risk of developing breast cancer. For information on this innovation, visit doctorlisa.org. For information on the University of New England, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. The title of today's Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is Pure and Simple. Um, it's an interesting title because it sort of puts out there this notion that we even know what pure and simple is these days. There's a lot of stuff going on about the environment and health and how these things interact and what we're supposed to do about it. So we brought in two people who can maybe clarify this and also share some of their own stories and tell us why we think why they think this is an important topic. Um, we have sitting across the microphone from me today. Elisa Boxer, who is an Emmy-winning journalist, and I'm so impressed with that, um, and a nationally recognized environmental health advocate, and also Stephen Taylor, who is a program manager for the Environmental Health Strategy Center here in Portland. Thank you for coming in and talking with us. Thank you. So glad to be here, Lisa. Yeah, thanks for having us. And it was interesting because, Elisa, I had heard your story, and I heard about your son, and I heard about what had gone on in your own life, and then I said, would you like to come on the show and talk about this, because it went beyond your own personal yes. life to a bigger thing, and you said, well, I would, but I have this other guy, and he needs to come in, too, because <laughs> he's really working on this subject, so, you, Stephen, you come very highly recommended. I guess that's good. <laughs> it's, it's very good. Let's, let's start with the story. Why are you, yourself... As a mother, as a person who has dealt with some very personal things, interested in this? Yeah. Well, almost 10 years ago, we moved into a brand new house. We had just built it. And my son and I, he was just born at the time. We got very, very sick. I couldn't breathe. I could barely move. He developed head-to-toe eczema very, very quickly. Um, long story short, it turns out we had been reacting to the chemicals in all the new building materials. So the formaldehyde finishes, the new paint, new carpet. You know, people generally think, oh, it's, that's just the new smell. But what the new smell really is, uh, very, very toxic chemicals seeping out of products. So as a journalist, I started looking into why I got so sick, how not to get sicker and um, how to get healthier and I found out that there were really really toxic chemicals in these products scientifically linked to all sorts of diseases um, from allergies, asthma, eczema to cancer, um, all different types of cancers and these are the products that that people use to build their homes, these are the products that are on store shelves. I mean, you can 
go buy these things and it's perfectly legal to do so and yet they can be very, very biologically harmful. And Stephen, your background is um, living, you told me on the phone, you lived in New Orleans. And I think that what you, there was some term you gave to sort of all the, the rivers and the t factories. Sure. I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, which is at the sort of bottom end of the Mississippi River. And the stretch of the river between New Orleans and Baton Rouge uh, is known as Cancer Alley because it's basically wall-to-wall -wall oil refineries and chemical plants. And um, you know, over the years, those facilities have released all kinds of toxins into the environment that have harmed people and wildlife. Um, you know, the other side of Louisiana is it's a beautiful place. The state motto is sportsman's paradise. And so you know, I grew up in a, in a place that has this incredible history of love for nature and the outdoors and, and love for life. And at the same time, had these incredibly toxic industries releasing deadly chemicals into the environment. And you know, I've worked really all of my adult life uh, to help people get involved in decisions and processes where they can actually speak and think and act to have control over their own lives and their own communities. And now, as a parent of a three-and-a-half-year-old son, um, I've had to face these issues you know, very directly and personally in the same way that Elisa has and, and many other parents have, um, that suddenly you're responsible for this eight- or nine-pound life. and. Um, you know, knowing even as much as I know about the danger of chemicals in everyday products, you know, it's still incredibly difficult for parents to get the information we need to protect our children. And, you know, that's what my work and the Environmental Health Strategy Center's work is really about. Well, it's, it's interesting because you talk about Louisiana as the sportsman's paradise, and also you talk about the river, and and we, we know that there's a connection. There's always been a connection between Louisiana and Maine. Historically, there, there was a connection. And it sounds like environmentally, even though they're, you're way at the other end of the, um, the sort of the heat belt, I would say, it, it's, we've, we've got very similar sort of um, natural environments in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. They're both um, states with incredible natural beauty, um, you know, histories of outdoor activity, you know, hunting, fishing, hiking. Um, and so both states where people really value the natural environment and the natural beauty in their states. So has that made it easier for you in your um, quest to make a pure and simple environment um, up here in Maine? Well, it's sort of interesting that in, um, you know, nationally, there's incredible popular support for getting dangerous chemicals out of everyday consumer and household products. And in fact, even in Maine, um, you know, government requirements to replace the most dangerous chemicals have 80 to 90 percent popular support. You know, 70 percent of registered Republicans, a majority of Tea Party Republicans support government mandates to get rid of dangerous chemicals when safer alternatives are in fact available. So that the problem in Maine and in the rest of the country is not a lack of support for those policies. The problem is the resistance of the chemical industry to policies that will protect our health. Clearly a very, very powerful lobby, <laughs> the chemical industry. Um, 
because Steve's right, there is so much support. I mean, so many Maine moms and dads really obviously care about their kids. They want to do the best they can. They want to get toxins out of the environment, but the chemical in industry is very deep pocketed, um, such a powerful lobby, and really does its best to cover up the truth um, and uses some really intense scare tactics. And a lot of parents, if they haven't done their own research, buy into that. So that's our job to, to raise awareness and let people know, especially when it comes to kids. Um, I mean, it's, it's just so insidious. You know, lavender scented baby products or baby fresh scent. Um, anything that's kind of marketed, this will make your baby smell like a baby, but just like the new car smell or the new house smell, the new baby smell um, is very, very toxic because there are phthalates in there if there's a fragrance and that means that it's been scientifically linked to some really, really serious diseases. Um, so, and also things like air freshener, so not just kids, but anything with an artificial fragrance, you know, people think they're doing the right thing by putting a colored gel pack in their bathroom, um, but what they're really doing is increasing their family's susceptibility to all kinds of diseases. So it's really about raising awareness and <laughs> kind of beating the chemical industry and exposing the truth that they're trying to cover up. Well, and isn't there something called body burden that it assumes that you're going to be um, impacted by things in a variety of different ways, whether it's the smells in your baby shampoo or whether it's the thing that you plug into your wall? Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Exactly. We, we can only handle so much. I mean, our bodies are definitely not, and you know this as a, as a doctor, our bodies just aren't designed to detox at the level that we're being exposed to all of this artificial stuff. Um, Steve can talk about, there was the, the body burden test. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that? Because that's fascinating. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, the, I think one core problem is that most people assume that synthetic chemicals used in everyday products like carpets and car seats and computers and couches stay in those products. But we now know, scientists know that they don't. And, you know, we know that we're all walking around in what's essentially a giant chemistry experiment. And our bodies absorb the synthetic chemicals that are released into cars and houses and schools. We breathe them in, they're absorbed through our skin, we take them in with food or drink, uh, we may absorb them when we put shampoo or conditioner or lotion on ourselves. And so through scientific research over the past decade, you know, the federal government and universities and private organizations have actually tested people, blood and hair and urine and nails. And breast milk, I think. And, and yes. breast milk, exactly, and found out that um, you know, we're all walking around with several dozen or several hundred synthetic chemicals in our bodies. And in fact, um, newborn babies, when they come out of the womb in this country, already have a couple hundred synthetic chemicals in their newborn bodies that they've absorbed from their mother. So we know that we're all walking around with synthetic chemicals in our bodies. What we don't yet know is which of those chemicals are safe, which might be a little bit harmful, and which are highly toxic. We know some of the ones that are highly toxic, but we still have a huge data gap. We don't know um, whether the vast majority of the 80,000 chemicals used in commerce are safe or not. And even worse, 
even after we know that a chemical is harmful, it's virtually impossible for the government to get it off the market. Now, are chemical companies actually required to test um, whether chemicals are harmful, whether they cause cancer, whether they cause other diseases? They're not. Um, the companies that manufacture synthetic chemicals are not required to test them for health and safety before they're released into the marketplace. And so that's a large part of the problem. Well, one thing that I struggle with, and I have three kids myself, and I'm a physician, I've been a physician um, a long time now, is that we, we still need chemicals. I mean, we still have um, mosquito-borne diseases. We still have um, other diseases that we don't really have a good natural protection against. And that challenges me because I'd like to do what's right. I'd like my life to be pure and simple, but I also know that we can't tell people in sub-Saharan Africa to just use mosquito nets because that's not going to be enough. Exactly. And, you know, that's part of the chemical industry's argument is, well, you know, you can't live in a bubble. What are you going to do? Protect yourself from everything? So you might as well do nothing is kind of the follow-up to that. Um, and I always tell parents, since we can't do everything, since there's so much that we can't protect our kids from, protect our families from, we do what we can. And I mean, if you can avoid certain chemicals that are scientifically linked to, say, cancer or uh, hyperactivity in children, a lot of them are, then you've done a great thing for your kids, for your family. Um, so it's really do what you can, be aware, uh, don't expect to change everything immediately, but just your little corner of the world um, is really, really important to make changes there. Yeah, I think the reality is that, as you said, you know, chemistry and chemicals are really important. The reality is we don't have a chemistry problem, we have a public policy problem. Uh, chemists, chemical engineers are really smart people. Engineers in general are really smart people. Somebody told a bunch of engineers, you have to go create a heat shielding tile that's as thin as a piece of paper that can fly into space and back on the space shuttle. They did it. Chemical designers and chemical engineers are really smart people. The problem is nobody has ever told them that designing chemicals that are non-toxic is a critical part of the design criteria. That's absolutely possible. There's an emerging field called green chemistry, which is based on designing chemicals and products using principles like zero toxicity, zero waste, uh, molecular conservation. And you know that field is really beginning to emerge and grow in this country. So the problem is not that all chemicals are bad by any means. A lot of chemicals are benign. They're not harmful. A lot of chemicals degrade quickly in the environment. On the other hand, some chemicals last for hundreds of years in the environment and are highly toxic to people, and some are in the middle. The problem is that chemical companies are not required to design safe chemicals. They're not required to test the chemicals they design for health and safety. And as we find out which ones are toxic when universities or other scientists research them, there's no way for the government to actually force those dangerous chemicals off the market. So chemistry, chemical design, chemical innovation is brilliant. It's wonderfully important. We need to supplement that with 
better public policies that actually help us make sure we're designing and using chemicals that are actually safe. And helping people realize that, say, you hear a lot about BPA, um, you know, helping people realize that the chemicals that are in their food containers may actually end up in their food. I mean, a lot of these chemicals are not inert. Like BPA was synthesized in the 1930s as an estrogen replacement, so obviously a very, very potent hormone disruptor. Uh, they scrapped it because it was so strong, and then, you know, now we have it in bottles and food containers, uh, but people never realized that this estrogen replacement, this this fake hormone, would end up in their food. And that's why I mean, Maine's done a great job at banning BPA from, from baby bottles and sippy cups, and we're trying to take it one step further, and there's federal reform based on that. So I think just it's important for people to be aware that these chemicals are actually getting into their food. They're not staying <laughs> where they might have been intended to stay. A chronic ache, sleepless nights, a feeling of something being not quite right. You can treat the symptoms with traditional medications and feel better for a little while and continue on with your busy days. But have you ever stopped to consider the what that's at the core of a health issue? Most times it goes much deeper than you think, and when you don't treat the root cause, the aches, sleeplessness, and that not quite right feeling come back. But they don't have to. You can take a step towards a healthier, more centered life. Schedule an appointment with Dr. Lisa Belisle and discover how a practice that combines traditional medicine with Eastern healing practices can put you on the right path to better living. For more information, please call The Body Architect in Portland at 207-774-2196 or visit doctorlisa.org today. Healthy living is a journey. Take the first step. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. A few months back, a friend helped me see things simply. She said to me, so, you value truth, loyalty, and best effort? Yes, I replied. Is there any truth to your loyalty getting in the way of your best effort? Um, yes. Just saying. There's freedom in seeing and understanding the simple values that make life pure. At Shepherd Financial, we'd like to help you find the truth and loyalty that will help bring out your best effort. Send us an email with the subject, Best Effort, to tom at shepherdfinancialmain.com. Shepherd Financial, securities and advisory offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design 
is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Well, let's back up. For people who are listening who aren't familiar with BPA, can you give me a little background information on what the chemical is and what it usually is found in? Sure. As Elisa said, uh, BPA was originally synthesized or invented uh, at the very end of the 19th century. It was developed in the 30s, you know, potentially as an estrogen replacement, and then really started to be marketed for use as an additive in plastics um, starting in the 50s. And it's uh, a chemical called bisphenol A, or BPA, and it's become one of the highest produced, most widely used chemicals in the world. Uh, it was the building block of a type of plastic called polycarbonate plastic that until recently most reusable water bottles like Nalgene bottles, uh, baby bottles, sippy cups, a lot of toys were made out of. And unfortunately, although it was a helpful ingredient in the making polycarbonate plastic, it turned out that it leaches out of those plastics into infant formula uh, or milk in bottles and, and into water. Um, stored in, in plastic water bottles, and it acts like estrogen in our bodies. And as most women know, very small amounts of hormones, estrogen, testosterone, other hormones, can cause very large changes in our bodies. And so um, a very small amount, a tiny amount, parts per billion of BPA can cause very large changes and health impacts in people's bodies. Um, BPA is still very, very widely used in food packaging. It's um, in uh, epoxy resin that's a coating on a lot of metal packaging, so the underside of some baby food jar lids, the lining of most metal food cans, and it leaches out of that lining into the food or beverage, and then people eat it or drink it. And I'm familiar with BPA as a physician, but I think a lot of maybe um, physicians aren't all completely familiar with this, and I'm not sure everybody who's listening really understands. If you expose your children to hormones early on in their life, what happens? I mean, these chemicals can really wreak hormonal havoc, and Steve brought up a really important point that, you know, and one of the chemical industry arguments is, oh, it's just a small amount. You know, it's a, it's a minute amount, and the dose makes the poison, but as we know, it only takes a minute amount. I mean, look at pharmaceuticals. It only takes a, a tiny amount to really cause some drastic hormonal changes. So, I mean, there was just a study I read about yesterday showing that even boys are reaching puberty like six months to a year earlier. Um, so this stuff can get into the systems of these developing bodies, these little organs, and can really, really wreak hormonal havoc. I mean, it's not just reaching puberty earlier, but, I mean, it's linked to cancers and reproductive problems and behavioral problems. Um, just a, a lot of diseases are linked to this particular chemical, and there are obviously so many more like it. Um, so very, very important to, to be very aware when it comes to our children of not 
not overdosing them with this and other toxic chemicals. And it really can impact their reproductive systems as they yes. seek to have their own children. So we're not talking about just the generation that we're in. We're talking about the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. I mean, yeah, exactly. And some of the, the most cutting edge scientific research is starting to show us that uh, changes in a person's body um, can actually cause changes, you know, health health impacts and harm in their children or their right. grandchildren. It's this emerging science that's called epigenetics. Um, and so it, it's not only true that exposure at a young age to a chemical like BPA uh, can cause obesity later in life, learning disabilities, breast cancer, um, you know, other health problems, but some of these chemicals we're exposed to can actually cause changes that persist for several generations. And is it also true that although we hold things like um, some of these chemicals in our bodies, we also release some of them out into, let's just call it the waste stream? Isn't it also true that we're impacting um, our groundwater, our drinking water? Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, you know, when a product, say a car seat, is manufactured and that product, that car seat, contains synthetic chemicals um, like brominated flame retardants, which are highly toxic, for example, or phthalate chemicals, which are used in many plastics. Um, you know, those chemicals didn't magically appear in the product. They have a life cycle. So those chemicals were produced somewhere in a chemical manufacturing facility. That facility uh, may expose its workers to those chemicals, the people who live nearby may be exposed to emissions. You know, the child in the family that buys and uses that car seat are going to be exposed to the chemicals. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the life cycle, right? When that car seat or that baby bottle or that food can is taken to a recycling facility or a landfill or a waste incinerator, um, the chemicals in it, you know, may be released into the environment. And in fact, even during the life of the product, and this is what we were saying earlier, that, you know, a carpet or a car seat or a couch, um, the chemicals used in that product escape from it during its life. And so they're released into homes and eventually end up in groundwater, rivers, and in wildlife. There have been studies done in Maine that have found highly toxic chemicals in whales, in peregrine falcons, in other wildlife. Well, I do want to bring it back around because I, I think we are also, um, we're 40 years into so the Clean Air or the Clean Water Act. So they're both passed around the same time that I was, yeah. I guess, born. And we've, we've done a lot of good stuff. I mean, we've, through legislation and people being advocates such as yourselves, um, we have accomplished a lot. There is a lot that we have done on a national level. It doesn't mean we should stop by any means. Um, what are some things that people as individuals can do? Because I think there is an overwhelm sense, there is a fear sense, and, and we are never going to get to the pure and simple, you know, ground bottom. There's never gonna be an actual answer, the right thing all the time. We'll get to pure and simple enough. Exactly. <laughs> pure and so simple. how do we do this? My number one tip would be go fragrance-free. Uh, whether it's shampoo, soap, deodorant, body lotion. I mean, if it has an artificial fragrance, that means that you're exposing yourself to all kinds of diseases through these toxic chemicals. So even just buying the fragrance-free version for yourself or for your child can really make a big difference. 
Yeah, certainly there, you know, even given the situation we lived in, where there's a lot of, of unknowns, there are definitely important things that, you know, parents and, and individuals and consumers can do. Um, you know, some of the top things are certainly try, try to avoid BPA in your food, um, you know, buy local food or organic food when you can, um, avoid vinyl PVC products, which are some of the most highly toxic products. Um, so there certainly are, are things that, that each of us and our families can do um, to avoid some of the worst chemicals. You know, we're fortunate that we also live in a state here in Maine where our state legislators and policymakers are very close to the ground. Um, they're, you know, very close to the public. They're very responsive. And if you talk to state legislators, you will hear over and over again that you know, one phone call, one letter, one email yeah. from one constituent makes a huge difference because at the Capitol, they do hear, you know, virtually all day, every day from paid lobbyists, right? And um, they want to know what their constituents are thinking. And so, you know, the, the two minutes or five minutes it takes to send an email, write a letter, make a phone call and talk to or leave a message for a state legislator in Maine makes a much, much bigger difference than most people think it does. And that's, you know, in terms of changing policy and really fixing the system, that's probably the single most important thing people can do. And doctors are getting involved in this and other healthcare providers. I mean, we're starting to understand, if we didn't already, that this is important. So, you know, Physicians for Responsibility and other organizations. Um, I think we were talking, um, Elisa, before, and Maine Medical Association, mm -hmm. who we had on the show not too long ago, yeah. and um, the American Maine Academy of Pediatrics. Yes. I, mean, I think they've all come out and start to understand this. And, and that's really, really important. Um, I went into an allergist's office a few years ago and there was a very, very strong chemical smell. I mean, I think they had used carpet deodorizer. And there are all these families sitting in the waiting room, you know, having allergy problems. Um, go figure. So very, very important for the mainstream medical community to be aware of this so they can help their patients. And for people who you mentioned going fragrance-free, you mentioned buying organic and local foods. Um, well, I, there. Are, okay, two questions. First question is, what about if you're on a limited budget and you can't go buy the more expensive new organic bedding for your room or something? I mean, what are some very simple things that people who just just who want to be involved in doing this can do? I would say one of the most important things is buy used. Um, you mentioned baby mattresses. I mean, really, really toxic flame retardants used in those. And you can even smell it. If you take a brand new conventional baby mattress out of the package, it reeks. And those are all the chemicals. So if you buy one that is a few years old, then you're not exposing your newborn to toxic chemicals. Um, definitely secondhand shops are filled with some perfectly good baby products, children's products, where all the chemicals have already outgassed. And I believe there are other resources that people who want to do more than going fragrance-free, buying used, can look into. So there won't be the sense of fear, that there is the sense that you can do what you can do, and it's going to be pure and simple enough. So Steve, what are some of your suggestions for um, finding these resources? 
Yeah, well, the sort of best place for one-stop shopping is our website, which is www.preventharm.org. Pretty easy to remember. Um, you know, we have links there to a variety of resources. Um, we've actually been in the process of creating a whole new set of consumer education materials. We've done a series of focus groups around the state this year to make sure we're clear on what what parents want and need. Um, so certainly folks can come to our website and can find resources there and you know links to, to other resources as well. And, I, and I'm glad to know that there is more and more uh, mainstream scientific research that's supporting all of the things that you've talked about because I do think, say 10 years ago, if you were going through a chemical sensitivity the way that yes. you described it, um, not only did people not know enough about it to be helpful from a diagnostic standpoint, yeah. say, say a physician, mm -hmm. but there also was a little bit of a crazy factor. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Oh, people thought that I was a wacko. Yeah, now not so much <laughs> because everyone's talking about new building materials and safer products, but absolutely, we have come so far in 10 years. And I do think that's the message that I'd like to leave with, that it's all about awareness and um, not feeling fearful or overwhelmed, but being aware, being mindful, and doing what you can, really, to minimize your family's, your own personal exposure to these things. Exactly. Right. And Maine has done a tremendous amount in the past 10 years. You know, our state has adopted um, policies to get mercury, lead, brominated chemicals um, out of consumer products. We now have a comprehensive state law that's starting to work on chemicals like BPA. And, you know, that has happened exactly because of work done by physicians and moms and dads. Well, I would encourage all of our listeners to visit preventharm.org. And do you have a Facebook presence that we can send people to? We do. If uh, folks go to our website, they'll see the little icon to click, and, and they can join our page on Facebook as well. I'm so appreciative that you've spent this time with me. We've been speaking with Elisa Boxer, an Emmy-winning journalist and mother, and also a nationally recognized environmental health advocate, and also Steve Taylor, who is the program manager from the Environmental Health Strategy Center here in Portland. I appreciate your time, and thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. The Body Architect was founded on the belief that mindful exercise improves the health of the mind, body, and spirit. Housed in an open, light-filled space in Portland, Maine, The Body Architect offers a cutting-edge fitness center, expert personal trainers, nutrition counseling, and a full class schedule. Visit thebodyarchitect.com or call 207-774 2196 and get started with the body architect today and by dr john herzog of orthopedic specialists in falmouth maine at orthopedic specialists ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree with state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment small areas of tendonitis muscle tears ligaments instability and arthritic conditions can be easily found during examination for more information, visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. It's always particularly interesting for me to sit across the microphone from a fellow physician, and I'm especially thrilled to have a physician that 
I trained with when I was a family medicine resident many years ago. At least our paths crossed somewhat. Um, and it's exciting to know that there are doctors who are going out in the world and thinking about health in a bigger way, the way that I like to think about health. Today, I have with me Dr. Doug Dransfield, who is a retired pediatrician and neonatal specialist and a board member on the main chapter for Physicians for Social Responsibility. Thanks for coming in and thank you for having me. Talking with me about this today. This seems like kind of a radical departure. I you know, I remember you in your role in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, and I remember you you dealt with very tiny babies and it was a there was a lot of technical aspects to your work and it's a, it's not an easy job. Being a neonatologist is not an easy job. Now you're out there and you're dealing with health in a really different way. So what drew you to be part of the main chapter of the Physicians for Social Responsibility? Well, I was originally drawn to it because of the issue of nuclear weapons. And that actually is the founding principle for uh, PSR, Physicians for Social Responsibility. A chapter formed here, and there actually were three chapters at one time in Maine. Uh, They formed in the early 80s. And um, it was in response to uh, the fact that the Cold War had a increase the number of nuclear weapons to such extreme numbers. And also uh, continuing uh, effort to try to educate the public that there was no medical response possible for nuclear weapons. So basically the, the theme was that physicians had to recognize that when you have something you can't treat, you have to prevent it. And that was the organizing theme for PSR for a number of years. And as we had increasing success with nuclear weapons, um, although there's still a lot to talk about with nuclear weapons and there's still some big problems there, uh, the organization began to realize that it had other responsibilities in the same way um, for other issues that we couldn't, that we didn't have cures for, that we really only had prevention for. So the issues of climate and uh, environmental changes Uh, were first, and then we added to that the issues of toxins. Uh, Our own local chapter got very involved in uh, domestic violence education, uh, although that isn't as much of an issue as of the national PSR group. But no, certainly the toxins uh, have grown in importance uh, for the work of the local chapter, and PSR is one of the members of the Alliance for Clean and Healthy Maine, Um, along with another organization I belong to, which is the American Academy of Pediatrics, the main chapter. So, um, and uh, that coupled with uh, efforts of the Maine Medical Association uh, increasingly in these areas um, forms the basis for, for why I think we need to do this. It is a big departure from what I did as a neonatologist. I mean, as a neonatologist, I was very concerned about really almost micromanaging um, physiologic issues with babies that were physiologically terribly unstable because they'd been born very early or because they had congenital malformations or in some cases because they were sick with diseases Um, and was trying to bring a lot of cure to that. Didn't spend much time dealing with prevention but um, in my life as a father and as a now a grandfather, um, I think I have a lot of interest in uh, 
in the other side of medicine, which is the public health side of medicine, and uh, therefore was attracted in retirement to give much more energy to PSR and trying to, to do much more to, to promote these messages of prevention. And it, it is related in a way because we know that the um, environmental, some people call them toxins, some people call them contaminants, but whatever they are, chemicals in the environment, um, they do impact babies and they impact children and they impact them to a much greater degree than we think, than they impact adults. So, you know, they, it may not seem like there's a direct relationship, but there likely is. Well, I think there is. And I certainly feel very prepared to think about these issues and to, to further uh, my learning about these issues because of the background I have in developmental medicine and in uh, pediatrics. And absolutely, there's a tremendous difference in how one molecule would act in a fetus um, as to how it would might act in a two-year-old or how it would act in me and as, as a 65-year-old. I mean, those are tremendously different issues. And you know, I mean, since um, basically my whole professional life has been trying to learn about more things because there was, you know, I, I graduated in the Middle Ages. I graduated in 1973. So there's a lot of medicine that's been learned since then, and particularly about genetics and control of, of uh, biology through genetics and how uh, vulnerable that can be to disruption by uh, molecules that are in some way not apparently most of the time but in some way surprisingly similar to natural molecules that are in our own body and they end up having disruptive effects. Well that's a good um, segue I guess into BPA and the work that's being done with BPA in the right. state. Talk to us a little bit about that and your experience with so, it. So bisphenol A is a material that's in plastics and as I understand it it's used to harden plastics. It um, is pretty universally present and it is one of a group of molecules, chemicals, toxins, uh, depending upon how you're talking about them, uh, that have the ability to disrupt uh, the function of normal hormones in the human body. And particularly, uh, that molecule, BPA, interferes with the actions of estrogen in the body. And it's sort of a complex relationship because it's not, you know, when I was taught about poisons and toxins and things that made you sick that were chemicals in medical school, it was this uh, very linear kind of relationship where, you know, you could tolerate a little bit, but if you build up the dose, it would make you sicker and sicker, and it was very much a dose-dependent uh, relationship where something became a, became a poison at a point where you exceeded a certain amount. And so a lot of toxicology thinking was all around, you know, what's the safe limit? Um, how much, how much, I mean, of course we're going to have these things around us, how much can we tolerate? So for instance, Tylenol, a lot of people take Tylenol. Tylenol, very safe, very effective, wonderful drug in the right, right, right dose. You put up, get up to a high dose, it's a poison. It knocks your liver off. It, it can kill you. 
So this thinking of uh, a dose relation, dose response relationship where a little bit might be safe and a lot might be harmful was the basis for legislation that passed in 1976, which was the Toxic Substance Control Act, TSCA. And, uh, but since 1976, we've come to understand that there are these unique molecules like BPA, and they behave in a very different way. And what we know about BPA is that it actually um, has the ability to bind to uh, sites in the body that are called hormone receptors. And just to back up a little bit, the way hormones work in the body is that there is a very small amount of a chemical material called a hormone that's produced at a particular place in the body and then released in the bloodstream and has actions at different sites. And it has actions at different sites because those different sites have a place for that molecule to go and to lock onto. And when it locks onto that site, the receptor site at the cell level, it then causes changes within that cell that cause the DNA messages that are the controlling messages of that cell to either become active or to get turned off and influence how that cell acts subsequent to that. So um, it, it's a problem if you have a molecule that enters the body for no reason uh, other than the fact that it happened to be in the plastic container that you were drinking from or the lining of the can you ate from or something. and it finds its way into your body and it latches onto a receptor that's really meant for estrogen and it has other effects. And it was that realization that there were these endocrine disruptor pro uh, materials that uh, began to change the way we started to think about, about toxins. And because BPA, bisphenol A, was so uh, universally present, and because it had such potentially dangerous relationships with estrogen action in the body, that became one of the early ones it was focused on. And in Maine, I think the people of Maine should be reassured and pleased with the fact that uh, there was a recognition of this and that uh, agencies like Physicians for Social Responsibility, like the American Medical uh, like the Maine Medical Association, like the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, joined in this coalition uh, for a clean and healthy Maine and resulted in legislation that limited the, uh, this product in Maine and in products sold in Maine. And that's really just the beginning of how we need to think about um, our relationship with our chemical world. Uh, and it's a very different way of thinking about it, and it's not at all something that is intuitive, or is it something that's easy for people to understand, that something could have a profound effect at a low level, then not much of an effect at a mid-level, and maybe a different effect at a high level, um, because we're always used to thinking about, well, sort of like how you use your gas range. You know, you got a little bit of heat, you turn it up, you got a lot of, bit, lot of heat, and it's just sort of the same analogy with chemicals. A little bit, you probably can tolerate that. A lot of it, you can't tolerate. But it turns out that there's a lot of chemicals that just don't behave that way. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. 
Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Sea Bags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Sea Bags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind nautical-inspired pieces. Visit the Seabag store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. And by Booth, accounting and business management services, payroll and bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. Now, I remember listening to Dr. Helen Caldicott back when I was a grade schooler come and talk about, <laughs> I know this is dating me, but no, um, no, no. nuclear war. And yeah. I remember being terrified by the movie that she showed in our school. Yeah. And there was a lot of attention paid to that. And I remember Dr. Caldicott being um, somewhat viewed as a little fringy, a little bit, yeah. it, was a, it was very polarizing. Did you experience any of this as a physician working with the main chapter of Physicians for Res- Social Responsibility um, when you started? Um, I think there was, yeah, skepticism, and uh, uh, I wouldn't say that, I mean, she was so much the face and voice of PSR in those years, and she really became sort of the lightning rod for people that wanted to criticize um, thinking this way. Um, So I didn't experience anything near what she experienced. And how did other physicians accept you? when you were, or respond to you, I guess, when you first started this whole process? Well, I guess, um, I don't know, really, (laughs) to be quite honest about it. Um, You know, I have good friends that I don't talk about this with much, um, and I have other friends that are very involved in it. Um, So it's like a lot of things that can potentially be divisive, whether it's religion or politics or sexual preference or, you know, whatever, um, you know, you just sort of, sometimes you just go along to get along a little bit and you don't, and you sort of downplay things. But that doesn't mean that the, the values that you hold are, are really not important values to you or things that you feel strongly about. But it's just that you don't sort of choose the time when you, when you make those, the thing you're defining yourself with. <laughs> and what have you learned? from your experience working with this? Excellent question. Uh, I've, I've learned a great deal about um, the public health uh, aspects of the environmental issues and the chemical issues. Those were things that um, I, like most people in my generation, were pretty naive about. You know, we were brought up in the 50s and 60s where geez, every day there seemed to be some new chemical thing that was great and, uh, you know, that science was sweeping us forward and there were all these advances and, you know, whether it was Jiffy Pop or going to the moon, it was uh, was great, you know, there was always something new. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's sort of been human experience right along, that you do things and you explore things and you learn things and then, Oh, there's some consequences to what we're doing, and maybe we need to look at this in a different way. And so we're in that reexamination period, and um, it's 
it's harder to get the message through, uh, I think, to people that started out thinking about things in one way and now are being asked to think about things in a different way. Uh, my delight is that uh, as young people come along, uh, gosh, I feel like so old saying that, but <laughs> when I look at my grandchildren, for instance, I mean, um, you know, they just, they are very attuned to the fact that uh, things are very interactive in their world and that, of course, you need to think about uh, possibly not apparent effects of things and that, um, you know, just like there's hidden things in their video game that they can discover, there's hidden things in the world they can discover and uh, that just because things appear to act in a certain way doesn't mean that that's actually how in fact, the sum total of how they're acting. How can people learn more about the Physicians for Responsibility main chapter? Uh, very easily. Uh, the executive director for our group would want me to say right now, look for us on Facebook. <laughs> I'm a Facebook newbie, and I know nothing about Facebook, but the PSR does have a Facebook presence there, and uh, you can find us there. Uh, and then more traditionally for me is uh, the Internet. So you can look for PSR.org, which is the national organization. And there's a button, pull-down button screen there for uh, chapters. And you'll find the main chapter, and you can see all about what we're up to. Um, but, yeah, if you friend us on Facebook, you'll get, gee, every couple of days you'll get something that has to do with the environment or with toxins or um, other things that PSR is very involved in. Not necessarily things that we're doing directly, but links to things that are important to know about. Well, it's been a pleasure for me to spend time with you, Dr. Doug Dransfield, who is on the board of directors for the main chapter for of Physicians for Respons main chapter of Physicians for Social Responsibility, and also somebody who had a hand in my teaching as a family medicine resident, a colleague of my father's previously yes. at the Maine Medical Center, so lots of different Maine connections going on. Um, I value the time you've taken to be here today. Thank you. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 61, Pure and Simple, airing for the first time on November 11th, 2012, on WLOB and WPEI Radio, Portland, Maine. This show and all past shows are available for download for free on iTunes. Additional information on today's guests, Elisa Boxer, Children's Health Advocate, Steve Taylor of the Environmental Health Strategy Center, and Dr. Doug Dransfield of Physicians for Social Responsibility, Maine, can be found on the Dr. Lisa website, doctorlisa.org. For more information on this show and other upcoming shows, like us on Facebook and be sure that we're part of your interests feed. Please also take the time to support our sponsors and let them know that you heard about them on our show. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. Thank you for being part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Seabags, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth, 
of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.